1: Josh Pate coming up here at Late Kick Josh one of the best college football voices you will hear this guy is dialed in he's the host of the Late Kick podcast also covers national college football for 24-7 sports and CBS Sports HQ and he joins us now via the Hobson and Hobson newsmaker line Josh good morning really appreciate you coming on here in the ATL.
2: I am ready to be in the ATL. That's what I'm ready to be. I'm still in Nashville. We got about 48 hours, but I'm ready to go. I appreciate you guys bringing me on.
1: Now, are you going You're coming down here for the game on a Saturday, I'd assume.
2: Well, yeah, we'll be in Vegas Friday for Pac-12, and we'll be there Saturday for mm-hmm. SEC.
1: Oh, that's a lot of travel. So, when are you getting out of Vegas to get here? Is that going to be a red eye for you?
2: It's going to be a red eye. And I, by the way, I grew up down the road in West Central Georgia, down in Harris County. Um, no kid who grows up in Harris County even knows what a red-eye flight is, so we've come a long way from Harris County.
3: Uh,
1: You're going to the two games that I've said that we look forward to the most. Let's start with the game you'll do on Friday night. Oregon-Washington played one of the most entertaining games of the year, and Dan Lanning came under some criticism uh, for for not taking points, and then he missed a field goal late. It's a big old line now with Oregon being over a nine-point favorite against Washington. What do you think has changed over those six weeks to really put Oregon as a prohibited favorite in this game?
2: Well, not much has changed, uh, which I think throws a lot of people for a loop. I mean, Oregon being favored by three that day in Seattle implied a six-point favorability on a neutral field to begin with, which means oddsmakers already saw a gap between them. Um, I think the net impact over the past eight weeks is, Washington deserves all the credit in the world but at the same time if you look at how they're winning they've won I think eight straight games by 10 points or less Oregon's last half dozen games they've won by an average of 26 it's just that one team's getting better margin on their opponents than the other Uh, it doesn't matter as long as you win but look I I was at that game Um, I remember either criticism and Lanning criticized himself after that game for not taking points but I think that stuff is so randomized sometimes, just like turnovers are so randomized. I think there are several just incremental edges that Oregon has over Washington that I think if they add up and you play your B-plus or better game, leads to an Oregon win. The one thing that can neutralize all that is Washington has the wide receiver core to just totally invert a game. So If they're on, if they turn 50-50 balls into 70-30 balls all afternoon, that's something that could pull Washington this upset, but
3: I went with the percentages, and I'm going to roll with Oregon. Josh, I think if there's one player that can maybe steal some Heisman votes this weekend or sway things, it's Bo Nix. He's got a standalone game. Oh, by the way, Jaden Daniels, the leader in the clubhouse right now for the Heisman, is not playing at all this weekend. So what does Bo Nix have to do? What does it look like for him to maybe uh, steal some Heisman votes, let alone maybe even do enough to win it this weekend?
2: See, I've been of the opinion – that this will come down to the Pac-12 championship game. Now, I've also been of the opinion if if I was casting a vote, it would be for Jaden Daniels, but I think that um, a couple of things are lining up for Knicks. Number one, he's got a defense that he's going to be able to do some work against. He did the first time. Number two, as, as a team, Oregon does not know they're in yet. Even if they win, they don't know they're in yet. There are a lot of hypotheticals out there that indicate, you know, there could be an argument one way or the other. So, Oregon is motivated in every sense of the word not only to win, but if they're in a position mid-fourth quarter, they've got the motivation to run the score up if they can, to leave no doubt. And no one would blame them because you've got a committee full of individuals involved in determining who goes to the playoff. So I think he's had a phenomenal season. I mean, that kid was down at Hewitt-Trustville in Alabama, goes to Auburn, gets horribly developed, and got, he got forgotten kind of like Pennix got forgotten. And it's funny, both those guys, are now going at it for the second time out there with Heisman shine on both games. I think if I had to bet, I'd actually think Knicks will end up winning the thing, mm. uh, but he does need a big numbers game Saturday.
1: Joshua, do you see a, a scenario where the sec does not get a team in the college football playoff? I'm talking p- particularly a, Alabama. Yeah,
2: I think there's that scenario. Um, so I struggle with this. So obviously, obviously, You know, for anyone listening who hasn't run these scenarios in their head, if Georgia wins, they're in. It's a moot point. But if Bama wins, let's just say a three-point game, seven-point game, there's a line of thinking that Washington wins or FSU wins or Texas and Michigan win. There's no spot for Alabama, and that's on the table. Um, Given what we just talked about, I I think, for example, that Oregon is going to beat Washington. Hey, guys, I think there's a half-decent chance Florida State falls as well. I don't think that's a good matchup for them versus Louisville. So I think there's going to be debate had. I think there's going to be an argument and a place, at least one, at the table. I'm fascinated if it comes down to a Bama-Oregon debate uh, because I look at those committee members' own criteria points, and I don't know how Bama or Texas are behind Oregon as we speak. And so it's one thing to hypothetically, you know, sketch it out on the back of a pizza box. But when it comes time, if you were to watch Bama beat Georgia, just hypothetically, is anyone really going to look at the SEC champ with one loss led by Nick Saban in the eye and say, I'm sorry, we can't take you. We've got to put the Pac-12 champ in. Now, if they do, more power to them. I've had a hard time the past week or two believing that would actually happen if it came time to say it Sunday.
1: Josh Pate, our guest here via the Hobson Hobson Newsmaker line. We've been having the debate on this show for a couple of weeks that if Bama beats Georgia and it comes down to Bama and Texas, who should be the group that gets in? I'm a head to head guy, Josh. I say Texas should get in via their 10 point win. What says you?
2: I I agree. I don't, um, you know, I used to be the power ratings guy. I used to be a guy who said, I don't care what's happened. Who do I think would be favored today? But that's not sports, man. That's not competition. Uh, you have got to – you're absolutely right. You've got to honor head-to-head. I got, I got a bunch of Bama buddies in a group text right now who are trying to convince me to, you know, go anywhere I can and say, well, but who would be favored on a neutral field? It doesn't matter. Number one, the point spread wouldn't be big enough to matter anyway. But number two, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, was, I was in that building that night, and Texas did something I've never seen before. They emptied Bryant-Denny Stadium out midway through the fourth quarter. That stuck with me. I mean, they went in there in one period, but they won convincingly. You don't negate that just because three months later you or a piece of paper or a committee of humans thinks the teams are different. And secondly, Texas is playing good. So they haven't, they haven't even inserted the possibility for you to override that head-to-head result. To me, it's, it will never come down to Bama versus Texas and Bama getting in. Bama's shot is a one-on-one debate with a team like Oregon like we just talked about.
3: I've said, uh, Josh this week that if you're pulling for the four best teams, uh, to get in, then you got to be pulling for Louisville to beat Florida state. Cause I, I don't think Florida state is one of the four best teams without, uh, Jordan Travis. Do you think that there's any way that, uh, even if they win, but they win ugly three points, seven points, whatever it is against Louisville that they get left out.
2: So it's a really interesting debate that all of a sudden popped up this week, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. So I don't think they'll be left out. And but I do think you're right. If we're talking about strictly four best, uh, you got not only do you need to be pulling against FSU, you ought to be pulling against Washington too. I mean, I saw some hypotheticals put out by one of the books out in Vegas yesterday. You're talking about double digit point spreads. If either of those games are in the or either of those teams are in the playoff. Here's here's what just like threw me for a loop Tuesday or Wednesday. Bill Hancock who's the uh, president, I think, of the playoff committee, he goes on the record with one of the reporters at ESPN and says, uh, what was his exact phrasing? He said, most deserving has never been in our lexicon as the committee. Uh, We are here to put the best teams in, which I call complete BS on, because that is not what they've done. What they've done is they've put the teams they feel to be most deserving in. If you're putting the best teams in, TCU never sniffed the playoff last year. So you're just outright lying if you're trying to tell me we've been putting the four best in. But let's take their words and treat them as gospel. If you claim to be aiming to put the four best in, well, I want someone to tell me how the University of Georgia is not a mortal lot to make the playoff no matter what happens Saturday. Because there is virtually no scenario that plays out down there in the bench Saturday where all of a sudden I go from thinking they're the best in the country to, they lost to Alabama so they're not one of the four best there's no world where that happens and yet I think we all know if they lose there's more than a reasonable shot they're out of the playoff
3: yeah I think the average margin of victory I think it's like 19 points in these games in the college football playoff they've been blowouts for the most part kind of kind of reflect that Josh uh, do you think Kirby Smart has passed Nick Saban as the best coach in college football right now
2: no, I would I wouldn't come close to saying that yet, um, and that's because well, that's because I believe in the equity built through longevity. Like I believe in doing it over a long period of time. It is, um, it is it is a sight to behold. Like when you, if you ever get close enough to those programs, which Kirby has obviously both ways, but if you ever get close enough to those programs where you can really start to appreciate the magnitude of what it takes to run one then you really start to build an appreciation for what it takes to sustain one. And Kirby has begun to do that. But the thing that I've always appreciated about Saban is there have been two or three just complete shifts in trajectory. I'm talking about one time offensively. I'm talking about another time. And and all the while, by the way, you're replacing coordinators constantly. When you've dealt with that for 15 years and you've stayed on top, That's when you enter the discussion. Like Kirby, in the very moment, if I were power rating coaches or something like that, he could be the best in the game. But I'm talking longevity, and I'm not even entering anyone else into that equation next to Nick Saban until they've done it a minimum of a decade and probably longer.
1: Josh, Josh, you have uh, four undefeated teams, a couple of four one-loss teams, and the coaches are doing a pretty good job around uh, the country. Who would your vote go to for Coach of the Year?
2: Uh, Jed Fish out of Arizona. I can't <laughs> believe what he's done. I mean, that preseason over-under was four and a half. And then they flew past that. And they have ended the season winning six straight. And, guys, they, they did not win it against the bottom of the Pac-12. Like, they knocked some people off out there. And the other thing is, it's not a bunch of games where they're winning at 20 to 19 being plus four turnovers. They are running it up on teams. Uh, they have revved their engine. I am stunned that they were able to put together a product that good because, like, like we just talked about, all those pieces of paper that people like to try and play these games on, those pieces of paper said they should be nowhere close. That's why we actually get fortunate enough to play the games in the fall, and sometimes you get surprises
3: like that. Josh, with a healthy Georgia offense, so, you know, Brock Bowers back. Um, Lad McConkey back this week against Alabama. Do you, do you give their defense a chance of slowing Georgia down?
2: Yeah, I do. I think that uh, McKinstry and Arnold at the one and two corner spots are very important because it's the best skill level that that Georgia wide receiver core and quarterback will have seen. Uh, the other thing is I think Alabama possesses the ability on the edge to create as much pressure on Georgia as they've seen. That's where that veteran offensive line and and those backs and pass pros, that is so important because when you give back time, uh, that dude can make some precision passes as we've seen that there really is no defense for. And so you got to count on if you're Alabama, you got to count on your corners contesting balls, and you got to count on guys like Dallas Turner getting home. Um, I think they can like I, I clearly think Alabama can go shot for shot with Alabama or uh, Alabama can go shot for shot with Georgia, but if if they're not doing the two things I just talked about there, I don't. I think Georgia would sustain drives, and I think they'd end up winning the game.
1: Well, Josh, it's going to be a fun weekend for you. Enjoy Vegas, uh, enjoy getting some sleep on a plane, and then enjoy obviously coming here to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Thanks for carving out some time for us. We'll be listening. We'll be watching as well.
2: I appreciate you having me, guys.
1: That's Josh Pate, Late Kick Live. If you haven't watched his uh, stuff every night, he is one of the best in college football. He's also got a really fascinating story. Uh, we had too much football to talk about, but he's got it pinned on his Twitter page, at Lake Kick Josh, talking about being evicted with no money in 2019. And now you're talking about a guy that's got 150,000 followers on social media and one of the biggest platforms in all of college football. So if you want to dare to dream, there's a guy like that that you can dare to dream behind.
0: This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch.